0: All right. It's great to be back in New Zealand. I am back from the United States of America, and it's a great place. It's where I'm from, but it is a bit like going into the wardrobe of Chronicles of Narnia and entering a very interesting land, (laughs) to say the least. But it was a great time. It's a historic time in in our fellowship of churches, and so it was a great meeting for all of us to gather there. Before we talk a little bit about that, I would like to say my mom is here in New Zealand, and if you haven't met her, please do so. It's good to have you here mom I was in America she was in New Zealand and we were FaceTiming each other like what are you doing over there and what are you doing over there it's great to have you here and also we have a sister visiting from the Singapore church that's Christine she's here somewhere if you could stand up Christine hi there you are glad to have you fantastic and lastly in case you didn't see there's a baptism about to happen and that's going to be abigail she's going to get baptized this morning that's going to be awesome girl you come back your mom's here there's baptism i'm just going to leave more often and come back and just see what happens it is happening. Amen for all of that. So in, in our fellowship of churches, we're, we're processing something called ICOC 3.0. So ICOC, International Church of Christ. You may think, what, is our church an app? Does it need an upgrade? Or I didn't know we were in ICOC 2.0. But the whole point is it's a very historic time for us to come together conversate about what it looks like to move forward together by faith, because we're all over the globe, and to, to figure out how to get united and how to move forward, it was so inspiring and energizing and enlightening, and I just want to say thank you to our leadership group here in Auckland, who, it was a last-minute invitation to me to come to the States for this meeting, and so I talked to the group, because it did cost some money to go over to the States, and it did take my time away from the church, but I talked to the group and they said yeah it's a very big deal we want want representation there so I just want to thank the leadership group here in Auckland for sorting all that out and helping me go and making sure that we had representation. It was awesome so more will be talked about when we have our midweek all together but I do just want to take a quick tour of what's going on in our fellowship across the globe. On one of the days what we did was very inspiring we heard reports from different continents all over the globe and then after we Heard those presentations, we broke into prayer groups and we prayed for that section of the world. Phenomenal. It was so awesome. My prayer group, I was with brothers and sisters from India and the new Abhijit Rowena. I thought that's awesome. I told them how you made me an Indian breakfast this week, and they were so excited about that. I had brothers from Canada. A, I said, Hey, hey, we say that in New Zealand, eh? We're brothers. So we I had brothers from the United States. It was so inspiring. We'd hear what's going on in North America and then our group would go away and we'd pray for 10 or 15 minutes about North America. It was so inspiring, and we did that for each of the continents. So, just to give you a little bit of the flavor, what what happened and what we talked about, here's what's going on all over the world in our churches, and then Wednesday, when we meet for our midweek all together, I won't have a lesson, we're just going to talk about what our church is thinking about for the future. And I know we were scheduled to preach together, bro, so that's a pause button for you, and we'll preach at some point, so... Surprise. So in North America, the the continent there there's and that includes the Caribbean, so there was there's forty eight thousand disciples. Which is a lot. And so in, in, a, in the North American region, there is a church in every city with one million disciples. That's a big deal. And, and that doesn't really translate here in New Zealand because we have cities of 100,000. But over there, in every church with a population that at least has one million, there is a church. Really inspiring about the Caribbean area. In the last nine years, they've grown by 700 That's awesome. That's very inspiring. That's people that have been baptized or restored into Christ. That's phenomenal. And I got to hang out and fellowship with the brothers from that area of the world. So we slide over to Asia where we met some of the the leaders that know some of the people here and tried to give shout-outs for all of that. And I saw Scott and Lynn Green, they say hello, John and Joan, and uh, hello to the church and everybody over there. But uh, in in Asia, it's got a big population. 60% of the world's population is over there with 4 billion. There's clearly lots of work to do in that area of the world. There are 187 churches In Asia, from our fellowship as a whole. What's cool is in the last six years, they've planted. 41 churches That's outrageous to think about But it's truly inspiring To see what's going on in Asia As a whole, as that continent That includes 18,000 Disciples, lots of work to do There with 4 billion people So we heard about that and then we went Away and we prayed for all of Asia, and if you go to Europe, Eurasia, and the Middle East and that, that's, a, that's a radical Muslim population, it's the most radical Population of Muslims in the world. There are 11,000 disciples in that area of the world. And what was incredibly inspiring and radical is we now have an official church in Syria. That's a major deal. You want to go on a mission team, you want to be radical, go be a part of the church in Syria. That's awesome. But God is doing great things in that part of the world. And we heard all the reports and we heard the brothers speak from there and we went and we prayed and it was awesome. And then we heard from our brothers and sisters in Africa, and there are 13,000 disciples in the continent of Africa. There are 94 churches, and they have an incredible goal by 2020, which is in the next two or three years, to plant 17 more churches. What an inspiring goal. I hear that. I'm like, we're just trying to get Bible talks, you know, man, these guys are, but that's, that's kind of what, what's going on around the world and should inspire us to see that God is doing great things. Also, they're really working on planting eldership in Africa. At the moment, they're not, they're, there's not many elders. That's a lot of disciples on that continent to have little eldership. So pray for Africa to to really be able to do that as they move forward. And then in Latin America with my Latino brothers, there's um, everybody was fine from the earthquakes. That was really inspiring to hear about. No disciples harmed or injured in the earthquakes. There's over 14,000 disciples there. And again, in Latin America, there's a church in every city with a population of 1 million. Very cool. Very inspiring. Of course, our part of the world is the South Pacific region. There's 1,100 disciples in our region, which is Australia, New Zealand, Papua New Guinea and Fiji. So all across the globe, our our global fellowship makes up about 110,000 disciples, which is awesome. And it was really inspiring to hear different languages, to hear different accents, but to hear the same unity all over the globe as God is working. So pray for our churches and pray for our region of this side of the world. And I'll talk more about all of this on our Wednesday for ICOC 3.0. 2.0. amen now if you have a bible turn to john chapter 12 and one more shout out to we, we've already announced it but now it's public on the hope youth corps site new zealand applied and we got accepted and that's awesome we are officially hosting hope youth corps in 2018 nadine Templer, who organizes all of these programs around the world i saw her at the conference and she came up to me and i don't think duncan's duncan's here this morning is he He's on. Oh, there's Mary. Okay, so you can relay this to him. But Nadine came up to me and she said, New Zealand has it together. She said, Duncan. Specifically, This isn't flattery or boasting. This is the words that came out of her mouth. Duncan was so flexible and thorough. That is a massive shout-out to the HOPE team. Massive shout-out. There was tons of work that went into that, okay? Lots of hours, lots of research, lots of conversation. That is awesome. Thank you so much for the HOPE team. She said, there are many programs that got put forth, but New Zealand was all over it. They were thorough. They were together. They were flexible. Thank you so much. And I said, thank you. (laughs) Thank you for accepting us. That was awesome. So in John chapter 12, Alberto did a great job preaching at midweek. So you go, brother. And this is the continuation of that in John chapter 12. What's happened so far is, is Jesus has raised Lazarus from the dead previously. People are starting to talk about it and come and listen to Jesus. And then I believe Alberto preached on Mary anointing Jesus. And so the word keeps spreading and spreading. People want to come here, and people want to see what Jesus is talking about. So in John 12, he's arrived at Jerusalem, and the crowds that have come to hear him and see him are shouting, Hosanna! And he rides in as king on a donkey, and it's awesome. But as John chapter 12 closes, this is the end of Jesus's public ministry. From 13 on, he'll pull away with his disciples and do some private teaching, some private instruction, and some private training before he'll be crucified. So, this is his last sermon before he drops the mic, and then he goes and hangs out with his disciples. And in this, he really calls the crowds, his disciples, and in turn, us, to action. And he calls us to action about the mission, which we'll talk about. He calls us to action about being sacrificial. Which we'll talk about. And he calls us to action on believing in Jesus. Which he'll also talk about. Let's pray and then start in John chapter 12 verse 20. Father, we are so grateful to hear uh, how the cross really is the antidote for our lives. It's so inspiring to hear what's been going on all all over the world. Father, I pray that it really helps us feel connected, that we're not just here on the other side of the world alone, but we have brothers and sisters all over the world. Also pray that as we read your scriptures, that they help enlighten us and call us to action, not only for our individual selves, but for our church here in Auckland and for this country, that we can see all men saved and hear the gospel. Pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Starting at John 12, verse 20, let's read together. And as a disclaimer, I did just get off the plane at 840. So all so if there is something crazy, delirious, or nonsensical, please excuse me. <laughs> John 12, verse 20. Now, there were some Greeks among those who went up to worship at the festival. They came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, with a request. Sir, they said, we would like to see Jesus. Philip went to tell Andrew. Andrew and Philip, in turn, told Jesus. I don't know why Philip couldn't have just gone to Jesus. But in verse 23, Jesus replied, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. That's an incredible trade-off. Incredible train up. Of. Often we think, oh, people are so bad, we want to get them to change their bad ways. But the reality is, God is so good, we want them to see how good God is for giving us eternal life. That's the bigger picture. And in verse 26 whoever serves me must follow me. And where I am, my servant also will be. My father will honor the one who serves me. Now, my soul is troubled. And what shall I say? "'Father, save me from this hour?' No, it was for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. This is John's version of Gethsemane, where Jesus is begging God in the garden to take the cup from him. And it's a similar cry here. God, can I, can, can, should, I, should I be here for this hour? Should I try to avoid it? No. Help me to glorify your name. And then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it. I don't know what it sounded like and will glorify it again. The crowd that was there that had heard it said it had thundered. Others said an angel had spoken to him. It's the same thing kind of today when people see miraculous things happen or they hear miraculous things happen. And they say, oh, no, it's, they're trying to discredit a voice from heaven that everybody heard. And in verse 30, Jesus said the voice was for your benefit, not mine. Now is the time for judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out. And when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all men to myself. He said this to show the kind of death he was going to die. The crowd spoke up. We have heard from the law that the Messiah will remain forever. So how can you say the son of man must be lifted up? Who is this son of man? And Jesus said, you're going to have the light just a little while longer. Walk while you have the light before darkness overtakes you. Whoever walks in the dark does not know where they are going. Jesus is so profound, isn't he? I mean, it's so simple. You can carry his, hey, when when I'm here, it's light. When I'm gone, it's dark. You don't walk in the dark. Believe in the light while you have the light so that you may become children of light. When he had finished speaking, Jesus left And hid himself from them. you got to love that. Just kind of hides from the crowd. And in verse 37, even after Jesus had performed so many signs in their presence, they still would not believe in him. This was to fulfill the word of Isaiah the prophet. Lord, who has believed our message. And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For this reason, they could not believe, because as Isaiah says elsewhere, he is blind of their eyes and hard of their hearts, so that neither see with their eyes nor understand with their hearts, nor turn, and I would heal them. Isaiah said this because he saw Jesus' glory and spoke about him. Yet at the same time, many even among the leaders believed in him. But because of the Pharisees, they would not openly acknowledge their faith, for fear they would be put out of the synagogue. For they love praise. More, they love, they love human praise more than praise from God. Then Jesus cried out, Whoever believes in me does not believe in me only, but in the one who sent me. The one who looks at me is seeing the one who sent me. I have come into the world as a light, so that no one who believes in me should stay in darkness. If anyone hears my words... But does not keep them, I do not judge that person, for I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. There is a judge for the one who rejects me and does not accept my words. The very words I have spoken will condemn them at the last day. For I did not speak on my own, but the Father who sent me commanded me to say all that I have spoken. I know that his command leads to eternal life. So whatever I say is just what the Father has told me to say. Three points this morning. Number one, the hour has come. That's that's what Jesus says in verse 23. And if you read this story, it's a funny response to the question they have for Jesus. There's guys that want to see Jesus. And they say, hey, Philip, can you take us to Jesus? Philip talks to someone else, and they come to Jesus. And Jesus, they say, hey, Jesus, we got some Greeks that want to see you. And he says, the hour has come. <laughs> but it's just like, you have to have like a decoder. I don't know if they have cereal boxes here, where as a kid, you'd get a secret message and a decoder, and you decode the message. Did you ever... Was I the only one that ever? Okay, good. Tilly did. She decoded it. But I feel like sometimes walking around with Jesus is like that. You ask him a question and he says something cryptic or mysterious. And you have to, Jesus, how, how, how does that connect to the fact that these guys want to see you? What, what are you talking about, Jesus? And he says, the hour has come. And in the scene here is a festival. And Jesus, his, his message is spreading. News is spreading. And now these Greeks want to see Jesus. And they approach Philip for a backstage pass. Hey, we want to see Jesus. They don't go to Jesus himself. And there's an interesting thought in that itself. And, and in response to this, Jesus says, Okay, since the Greeks are coming, the hour has come. It's time for me to die. It's time for me to be lifted up. And, and, and if you think about this in the bigger picture, the message first goes to Jews. But then when he dies and he gets lifted up, the message opens to everybody. And so with, with the Greeks coming to Jesus, he recognizes the hour has come. The mission will be open to everyone. No longer to Jews, but to Gentiles as well. The wall will come down. Now, the reason there's such hesitation for Gentiles to come to Jesus is in the temple. This is what the temple looked like. And those signs are real. They're still there today if you go to the temple. They say, do not enter. Those signs aren't real. It's just for graphic illustration. But on the outside of the temple, that's the court of the Gentiles. If you're a Gentile, that's your hangout spot. If you're a Jew, you can go into the inner. You can't go into the Holy of Holies, but you can at least go inside. But if you're a Gentile, there were legitimate signs that said you cannot enter if you're Gentile. And so they couldn't. And so you understand the hesitation of these guys coming to Jesus. I don't know how he's going to respond. I don't know how he's going to react. I know there's barriers in the temple. That's actually what Paul is referring to in Ephesians 2.14. When he says that Jesus destroyed the wall of of hostility. In the temple there was a physical barrier separating gentiles from God. Jesus rips it apart on the cross and now everyone has access to God. And so when these Greeks come this is Jesus interpreting the bigger picture and saying the hour has come. The wall is coming down. Now In Chicago, I got to meet one of the brothers that I was converted with in the same year in Atlanta, Georgia. And he went on to plant a church in South Carolina. Now, this is a photo of a bowling alley in South Carolina in 1968. In 1968, a group of black men went to this bowling alley. They would not let them bowl. They protested. The protest goes to the university. And all this results in three black men being shot and 27 wounded. And it all started at this bowling alley in 1968. Now a brother from Georgia named Scott Kirkpatrick, 49 years later in 2017, goes to this same city in South Carolina with a group of his friends. And and they're scouting out the land to plant a church, all right? And as they scout out the land, they're looking for a venue to hire. And where do they go but the bowling alley? Now, Scott is a big black man. He has no history. He is unaware of what happened at this bowling alley. So they go to the bowling alley and they try to hire the venue and the bowling alley rejects them. Is what is going on? So they talk around town. They say, are you unaware of the history at this bowling alley? And so they talk through it all and it worked out. And, and it finally they say, okay, you know what? We'll let you hire this bowling alley for your church service. Now what's crazy is a kilometer down the street, there are two churches on either side of the road. One is all white. And one is all black. And here they are in the middle. They're trying to hire out this bowling alley to have a church service. They went out to the city, they shared their faith with heaps of people, they prayed, they fasted, their church service had one, that's the massacre that happened, their church service had over 140 people. The guy in the white shirt, that's Scott Kirkpatrick. The guy on the right... The guy on your right. The guy up there in the white shirt, rather. I don't know if he's on the right or the left. But that's Scott Kirkpatrick. He was the brother that took a group of guys down there and said, we're going to plant a church here. Didn't know the history. That's the venue we want to use. And they use it. And at the first service, 140 people attended. White and black. Down the street, all white, all black. In the middle, white and black. (laughs) crazy but the walls were coming down and then they took photos the white and the blacks were eating together you would think this was back in 1968 for this to be so radical but that's what happened and then as a result of all this one of the ladies that came to the service studied the bible and she was baptized that's crazy that's a crazy story but the hour had come The walls came down. Races came together because of Jesus. You think God isn't behind the Berlin Wall coming down? You think God isn't behind what's going on in South Africa with all that kind of stuff? God brings walls down. And that's Jesus and his message. The hour has come. The wall is coming down. That's inspiring. But it makes us reflect on our own lives. Because just like those guys, people have hesitation in coming to Jesus. How is Jesus going to respond? How is Jesus going to react? What does Jesus think about homosexuality? What does Jesus think about how I spend my money? What does Jesus think if I do this? What does Jesus think about politics? People have lots and lots of hesitation. And that key moment when they approach you and say, hey, I'm interested in Jesus, they're going to gauge whether or not they're going to research Jesus based on your response. Yeah. And so as, as, a, as an individual and as a church, we have to remove these hesitations from people. We have to remove these hesitations and help people see, hey, the, the wall has been brought down. It's open to everybody. Yeah. And you don't have to do anything as John shared of the communion. It's all been done. Yeah. It's all been done because everybody comes to Jesus with this expectation. So we have to equip ourselves to learn to converse to conversate with people, to dialogue with people about homosexuality. We have to learn how to talk to them lovingly and unwaveringly, but we have to we have to remove their hesitation and just be friends with them. And learn to bring those walls down. What about wealthy and successful people? maybe they 're intimidating to you, but the walls have been brought down. We have to learn to dialogue with wealthy and successful, poor and uneducated, intellectual all across the all across the spectrum. The hour has come, and it 's time for us to engage in all of these types of people. The hour. Has come. Let us equip ourselves to remove the hesitation. Point number two many seeds. Included in this response that Jesus gives to his disciples is the universal and also agricultural truth about one seed falling, many being produced. There's some key phrases though in verse 24 unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies. So there's, you can't just be content with falling to the ground, (laughs) right? That's halfway there, but falling and dying, then it produces many seed. That's not easy, it's not natural, but it's it's the concept of sacrifice. And in verse 27, Jesus realizes that. I'm troubled, I'm going to have to fall and die, but the end result is many seeds will be produced. I understand, I understand this is hard, but I'm going to. To sacrifice to produce many seeds. Come on, also, in my at the meeting in Chicago, this is a couple named the Arnesons. AT is the brother and his wife. They lead the church in Chicago. They were baptized twenty-some years ago, perhaps twenty-seven. During this time, they came to the church in Chicago as ten-day old Christians, and they were taking up a collection to send a mission team to Kiev. And they were so inspired by... Th- this, is, this, is, this is what we want to do. We want to help this church. As 10-day-old Christians, they went to their bank account, withdrew their savings, all of it, and contributed it to the mission team in the Kiev. That inspires me, but that challenges me. The point is, don't go withdraw your savings. The point is, there's a level of sacrifice that Christians get that produces many seeds. Many years later, 20-some years later, this is our brother Sean Wooten. He's from the U.S., but he leads the church in Kiev, Ukraine. I sat near him at the back of one of the, of one of the lessons one night. He was with a whole row full of Ukrainian brothers, and I, I kept hearing all this talking. He was translating the message for all of his brothers on that back row. And it was awesome. In Ukraine now, there are over 2,000 members in that church. But it started with this concept of people wanting to sacrifice, of people wanting to give, and it produced many seeds. Again, that's, that's how the gospel works. When we die to ourselves, and we fall to the ground and die, it produces many seeds. But are we choosing to sacrifice? Are we choosing to sacrifice? Are we still falling to the ground, dying and producing many seeds? I have to say, I was challenged by this idea in the gospel. Because I lean toward comfortability. And you probably do too. But th- this this passage says Jesus calls us to sacrifice. And the main reason we don't is in verse 25, we love ourselves too much. That's just true. For the young, for the 30 and under, or everybody's young, but for, you know, the younger young. For the for, for the 30 and younger, we live in an age of self-love. Uh, you know, I, and, and, and I, I see it, and, and it's not necessarily wrong technology, but, you know... Stats say we check our devices every five minutes. You think that's not true? You you you, you chart your device checking throughout a day, and it who liked my photo? Who who Instagrammed me? Who whatever me? Who posted this? Who posted that? Did they like it? You know it's just, but it's all about. Me! It's this self-absorption, check me out. Even me, I, got, I was taking selfies, I never take selfies. But in Chicago, I'm like, hey, bro, let's take a, oh, I'll let you know, but it's, but, it's, but that's, that's the day that we live in. Did someone like my video, is anybody following me? Now, the, the, those things aren't bad, but they become this obsession of self-love. We love ourselves. We love people to notice ourselves. We love people to comment about ourselves. We love people to love us. That's the end result, and it softens our sacrifice because we love ourselves too much. Well, now for the mature, it's probably not social media. Maybe it is, but maybe it's financial. Maybe it's financial. As we grow here in Auckland, we're going to need more staff. Thank God for Sydney. With the help of Sydney, Monique is here, and we're fired up about that. And that's awesome. But it's going to take sacrifice for the North Shore to start meeting both midweeks on the North Shore. That takes financial sacrifice. It's going to take financial sacrifice because when we grow to 150 and 200, we're going to need more staff members. And that's going to take sacrifice. When we talk about missions and we collect missions, that takes sacrifice. If we want to plant a church somewhere in New Zealand in the next three to four years, it's not going to naturally happen. It requires sacrifice. And there are seven cities in this country with 100,000. Auckland can be that hub, but we must sacrifice. There's a lot of prayer and there's a lot of fasting, but it takes sacrifice. Third and lastly... Genuine belief. The last section, starting in verse 37, addresses this idea of believing. and Jesus kind of generalizes it in three groups. Verse 37 and 38. Those people choose not to believe. Even after they had seen everything Jesus did, they still would not believe. That's a choice. Even though when Jesus preached, their heart got harder, they were responsible. They chose not believe. ...to believe. Even after they saw... ...the water turn to wine. Even after... ...they saw the bread multiplied to 5,000. Even after they saw the blind man... ...suddenly see. Even after... ...they saw Lazarus... ...raised from the dead, they still... ...refused to believe. And Jesus says, hey... ...those type of people, that's a scary... ...position. Now if that's you, if you're curious in Jesus... ...and you find yourself in that position, there's time... ...to repent. And I call and encourage you... ...to repent. Of that kind of belief. But Jesus says there's people that just choose not to. And and that's a scary thing. In verse 42 and verse 43, there's another type of belief. And this is probably where more church members fall in. It's kind of borderline belief. At the same time, many, even among the leaders, believed in him. But because of the Pharisees, they would not openly acknowledge their faith for fear they would be put out of the synagogue. So they somewhat believe, but they're scared. Of their popularity diminishing or losing their position. So they just kind of remain on the borderline. I believe, but I'm not going to openly talk about it. And I think that's probably the danger of, of church members. Is us having a belief that's, that's generic in Jesus, but not being openly. But not being open about it. I'm yeah. yeah. being public about it for fear of popularity or losing position or whatever. And, 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 and there's pressure. All of us are under some pressure to what are people thinking about me? Just as John, is, the, the author is commenting, there's, there's this group of people that doesn't believe. There's kind of these borderline believers. And, and we don't want to be like that. We want to be like the last group in verse 44 through 50. They're genuine believers. They see the big picture, they know Jesus comes from God, and that's, that's kind of sim- simplistic for them. I know you're Jesus, I know you're from God, I may not have it all figured out, or I may not be able to decrypt your cryptic messages, but I believe you're the man. And I'm going to follow you. I'm not blindly trusting you, but I, I want to study it out, I want to figure out who you are, but I genuinely believe. I'm choosing to believe, I'm not going to be on the borderline, and it propels us forward belief propels us forward that's what verse 45 and 46 talk about you don't stay in the darkness anymore when you believe, you act you come forth, you start to do things and that's awesome you take action in the next 3-4 to four years, I think our church needs to hire more staff and plan another church but I can't be the only one believing that we have to believe that as a church and I know we do believe that as a church, but it takes all of us moving forward I want all of our ministries to be healthy and sound. And and I believe they will be. And I want all of our families to be healthy and sound. And and then I want us to instill this belief into our children as they come in the door. That we can make a difference. I believe in the next 20 and 30 years that we should have a church in every city with 100,000 in New Zealand. That's a realistic, faithful goal. But it takes sacrifice and it takes faith. in other countries, there's one church in every pop city with a population of one million. Hey, we've done that. Check. We're here, baby. That's us too. But there is more work to do. Will we believe that as a body? Will we believe that as a church? I want our ministries to be. So I, I want. I want our teen, our uni ministry, to be the fastest growing ministry of the church, and I believe it can be, and I believe it ought to be. I believe in the future. I want to see Leopold leading a Bible talk. I want to see Otis leading a Bible talk. I want to see Cole leading a Bible talk. Owen, Cody, Zoe, all of them. Because we genuinely believe. And I know we can do it. How do I know it? Because a small group of people in this church said, we want to do something crazy. We want to host a Hope Youth Corps. it's very ambitious. We're a church of 118 and we're inviting people from all over the world to come. And it's going to be a lot of hard work. We don't know how all it works out. Why don't we just have a go? And they did. And they had a go. And now we're having Hope Youth Corps. They believed in that. I know we can. I know we can if we as a church take on that same mentality of of the Hope team and say, I know we can plant another church in three to four years. Then we can do it. I know that we can hire more staff. Then we can do it. I know we can pass this on to our children. I know we can do it. Because we're genuine believers. As Jesus finishes his public ministry, he called the crowds, he called his disciples, and he called me and you to action. The hour has come. He says the mission is open. And we have to remove people's hesitation. We have to to help people understand the gospel. The walls are down. The ministry of Jesus is mobile, and we're trying to get as many as possible. He calls us to sacrifice. It always produces seeds, and this is a call on an individual level, and as a church, to re embrace sacrifice. And He calls us to genuinely believe, all of us, as individuals and as a church, so that when we fall down, we produce many seeds, and this country will be changed. Amen. Amen.